Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for OT. And good evening, everybody. It is Saturday night. Hope you're all doing well. I'm Wong Hughes. It is July 25th, year 2009. We're going to feature Dwayne Kills to a brand new show for this month. Right after that, it'll be the Rail Association of Colorado, their monthly show for July of 2009. So, first, let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, bless this station. Bless all the listeners and supporters. Look after Bill, Kim, and Beth. Let Kim and Bill have a good vacation coming up the next two weeks. And ask everything to be done in your will. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, here is Dwayne. I want to ride again on the 310 to you. Hi friends, once again, this is Frankie Lane. I want you to know that you're listening to Dr. Dwayne Keelstrup, good friend of mine, on Yesterday USA. Deep in the heart of Texas, welcome to Song and Smile Time on Classics and Curios. Song and Smile Time will showcase a variety of special vintage entertainment, such as collector comedy from old-time radio, great bands from the 20s through the 40s, and classic singers and groups from the 50s. On occasion, we'll spotlight classic country and cowboy recordings, as well as music, interviews, and backstage stories from the archives of the late and beloved DJ Eddie Hubbard, including Eddie's wonderful big band browsers shows spanning over a quarter century in radio history. Well, as you know, uh, lots of shows are called special, and if special means far beyond good, then today's show is truly special. Why? Because it features the legendary DJ Eddie Hubbard, a close friend of Frankie Lane's, by the way. While Eddie gained fame as a radio DJ, he was a talented performer as well. And here's a song to prove it. It's a novelty song which Eddie composed that celebrates the joy of old-time radio, called Radio Then. Following Eddie's song, we'll hear, uh, well, I guess you'd call it a collage of browsers shows that Eddie selected and edited himself from the 1980s. 
Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for OTR from the Rockies. From the foot of the Rockies in Denver, Colorado, here's a program capturing the drama and fun of the golden days of broadcasting. Old time radio from the Rockies. Hello, this is Fred Hobbs. I'm speaking to you from the radio studios of RHAC, the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. And we're here to bring you interviews, historical information, book reviews, events, and fun for all on old-time radio, especially related to the Rocky Mountain region because that's where we're located. You know, most of our offerings on old-time radio from the Rockies look back to the 50s and way before that, too. This time, the two shows we present were aired during the period of the Golden Age of Radio, but their storylines and plots looked ahead, sometimes way ahead. The show's dealing with science fiction. And here to set the scene is our colleague from the Radio Historical Association of Colorado, Bill McCracken. Now, Bill, you can tell us about our features here in just a minute, including the first one we're going to hear. But uh, I'd like to know right now if you could give us some idea of how science fiction and radio converged. Well, there were some earlier separate shows during the 40s, but there was no real tie-in to try to make it a series. And then suddenly in the spring of 1950, CBS, Mutual, and NBC all decided it was time to run a series on science fiction. CBS tried one called Beyond This world or beyond tomorrow it had two titles and mutual came up with 2000 plus nbc's entry was originally called out of this world but then before they aired it it became dimension x dimension x is the one that really survived this whole business the other two shows were off the air rather quickly the dimension x series lasted about a year and a half in various time periods uh, and we're going to be listening today to one of those very early shows uh, just quickly, can you tell me um, the connection with science fiction magazines? Now, did they were they published many years before this was tried in radio? For the most part, the uh, stories that uh, came out during the 40s were short stories, and they were featured in these various magazines. As we'll hear later on today when we do the X-1 show, it says that it's sponsored by Galaxy Magazine. Uh, we're going to be hearing a couple of short stories from Ray Bradbury, on our Dimension X entry, and later on we'll hear from Robert Sheckley when we do our X-1 show. Ray Bradbury was uh, very, very famous in the genre, correct? Yes, and you'll hear him referred to as a young Ray Bradbury because, after all, this program was broadcast in the spring of 1950. And another word of caution is that they'll be talking about the future as the 1980s. So do remember, please, when it was originally broadcast. Now, this is Dimension X... This is indeed Dimension X, two short stories called There Will Come Soft Rains and Zero Hour. 
Adventures in Time and Space, told in future tense. Dimension X. Can you predict the future? Can you tell what will come in 100 years? Or in 10? Or in the next minute? Tonight we present two ventures into the unknown. Two fantasies of the future, chosen from the works of one of our most brilliant young science fiction writers, Ray Bradbury. First, his story entitled, There Will Come Soft Rains. The house was a good house, planned and built to be lived in in the year 1980. The real estate agent had told them all about it. Now, this is the bedroom. Of course, it contains all the latest devices, self-warming blankets, and, uh, yeah, there's a brand new feature. Beds, which make themselves. Now, if you just step this way through the library... We can see the latest in talking book recorders, self-building fireplace, self-cleaning robot dust disposal. Oh, these little mouse-like things come out of the wall and take away all the dirt. Now, over this way. There's a complete robot kitchen, of course. Just set the menu for the week and the stove does the rest. Then there's the automatic hydroponic garden, self-sprinkling fire protection. See, the house is fully automatic. Why, you could go away for a year and it would run itself. And so the family took the house. The man and the woman and the two children. Uh, a boy and a girl. And they lived contentedly, enjoying music and poetry and the rich, warm things in life. And the house fed them and slept them and entertained them. It made a good life for them. Until one day... There were 10,000 explosions, and the world shook, and red fire and ashes and radioactivity fell from the sky. The happy time was over. lay empty. The clock talked to the empty morning. In the kitchen, the stove sighed and ejected from its warm interior eight eggs, sunny side up, twelve bacon slices, two coffees, and two cups of hot cocoa. Seven, nine, breakfast time, come and dine, seven, nine. Today is April 28th, 1985. Today, remember, is Mr. Featherstone's birthday. Insurance, gas, atom heat, and electricity bills are due. In the walls, relays clicked. Memory tapes glided under electric eyes. Recorded voices moved beneath steel meters. But no door slammed. No carpets took the quick tread of rubber heels. At 8.30, the 
eggs began to shrivel. An aluminum wedge scraped them into the sink. 9.15, time to clean. 9.15, time to clean. Out of the wall, hundreds of tiny mechanical mice darted. The rooms were a crawl with small cleaning animals, all rubber and metal. They sucked up the hidden dust and dirt and popped back into their burrows. At 10 o'clock, the sun came out from behind the rain. The house stood alone on a street where all the other houses were rubble and ashes. At night, the ruined town gave off a radioactive glow which could be seen for miles. At 10.15, the garden sprinkler filled the soft morning air with golden fountains. The water tinkled over the charred west side of the house, the side which had been facing the blast. It was black, except in five places. One of the five places was a silhouette of a man mowing a lawn. Just as he'd been, the instant the radioactivity burned his image into the side of the house. Over there, a woman bent to pick flowers. Still further over, their images burned into the wood, where a small boy, hands flung into the air, higher up the image of a thrown ball, and opposite, a girl, her hands raised to catch a ball, which never came down. Five people. Five spots of paint. On the front porch, the dog whined and shivered. The front door recognized the dog's voice and opened. The dog padded in wearily, thin to the bone, covered with sores. It ran to the kitchen and pawed the kitchen door wildly. Behind the door, the stove was making pancakes, which filled the house with their odor, as prescribed by the automatic preset menu selector. The dog frogged, ran insanely, spun in a circle, biting its tail, and died. Delicately sensing decay, the regiments of mice hummed out of the walls, soft as blown leaves, their electric eyes glowing. One fifteen. The dog was gone. Two fifteen. Bridge tables unfolded from the walls of the patio. Playing cards fluttered onto pads. Martinis appeared on an oaken bench. But the tables were silent, the cards untouched. Five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. Dinner was made, ignored, flushed away. Dishes were washed. In the study, the tobacco stand produced a cigar with half an inch of gray ash upon it, smoking, waiting, waiting. The hearth fire bloomed out of nothing. Nine o'clock, nine o'clock. The beds began to warm their hidden circuits, and the phonograph spoke from beside the fireplace. Mrs. McClelland, what poem would you like to hear this evening? Mr. McClelland? Since you express no preference, I shall select at random from among your favorites. Sarah Teasdale. There will come soft rains. There will come soft rains and the smell of the ground and swallows circling with their shimmering sound and frogs in the pools singing at night, and wild plum trees in tremulous white. Robins will wear their feathery fire, whistling their whims on a low fence wire, and not one will know of war. Not one will care at last when it is done. Not one would mind 
neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly. And spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. The phonograph finished the poem. The empty chairs faced each other between the silent walls. At ten o'clock that evening, the house began to die. The wind blew the bough of a falling tree into the kitchen window, smashing it. A bottle of cleaning fluid crashed on the stove. Water pumps shot down from the ceiling. But the solvent spread onto the doors, making fire as it went. Other voices in other rooms taking up the alarm. The windows broke with the heat and the wind blew in to help the fire. The fire crackled upstairs at paintings, lay hungrily on the beds, devoured the rooms. The house began to shudder. The bared skeleton began to cringe in the heat. The wires revealed as if a surgeon had torn the skin off. Voices screamed in every room. Windows snapped open and shut like undecided mouths. A thousand things were happening at once, like the interior of a clock shop at midnight. All the clocks were striking, making a merry-go-round of squeaking, whispering, and rushing. In the kitchen, the stove hissing hysterically was making breakfasts at a psychopathic rate. Ten dozen pancakes, six dozen loaves of toast. Then, there was silence. The film spools were burned out. The wires withered and the circuits cracked. Then the house began to breathe its last. The beams began to give at the foundations. Long cracks appeared in the concrete. The seams were burst from the heat. And finally, with a huge rumble, it crashed into dust and rubble. shone faintly in the east. In the ruins of the house, only one wall remained standing. And within the wall, even as the sun rose to shine upon the burning rubble, a voice spoke again and again and again. No one would mind, neither bird nor tree, if mankind perished utterly. And spring herself, when she woke at dawn, would scarcely know that we were gone. That we were gone. That we were gone. Strange are the uses of Providence. Is this how the end will come for mankind? With 10,000 explosions and a flash of radioactive gas? Or will destruction come more subtly, extended to us gently and innocently in, oh, let's say, the hand of a child? Who knows in what manner zero hour may arrest the world we know?
It was a perfect summer day in the year 1985. The streets were lined with green, peaceful trees. Businessmen sat in their quiet offices, taping their voices or watching televisors. Rockets hovered like darning needles in the blue sky. There was the universal quiet conceit and easiness of men accustomed to peace, quite certain that there would never be war or trouble again. There were no traitors among men, no unhappy ones, no disgruntled ones. The world was upon stable ground. Sunlight illumined the suburbs, and the town drowsed on a tide of warm, sunlit air. On the lawns, the children played, catapulting this way and that across the green grass, shouting at each other, holding hands, flying in circles, climbing trees and laughing. And in the homes, busy mothers prepared for the evening arrival of their husbands. Heavens, Mick, what's all the excitement? We're playing a game, Mommy, the most exciting game ever. What are you doing in that cabinet? I need some tools from Daddy's kit. Your father may not like... Oh, I'll take good care of them, Mom, I promise. Very well. Don't you lose anything. Oh, thank you, Mom. You want a glass of milk? Can't stop now, Mom. What's the name of the game, Mink? Invasion. Invasion. What will they think of next? Joseph Connors. Don't let him play. He's 12 years old. Don't worry, I won't. What you playing, Mick? None of your business, smarty pants. I want to play. Can't. Why not? You're too old. Just because you're only eight. No, you'd only laugh at us and spoil the invasion. Make him go away, Mick. Go away. This is my backyard. Uh, who wants to play with you and your old fairies anyway? They aren't fairies. Uh, enough to you. I don't want to play anymore. Good riddance. I'm glad you didn't let him play, Mink. He'd only laugh. Now, we'd better talk to Drill and get some more instructions, Art. Now, here's your pad and pencil. Where is Drill? Drill! Here, Drill. Drill! Well, he's Drill. in the rose bush, I think. I'll talk to him myself, and you write it down the pad. Okay. Drill? Drill? Okay. Drill wants you to write down triangle. What's a triangle? Never mind. Drill will tell us when he wants us to know. It helps the invasion. How do you spell it? Hmm. Well, I'll ask Drill. Drill, how do you Mink. spell... Here's your mother, looking out the window. Mink? Yes, mother? Who are you talking to? The rose bush, Mom. Only it's not really a rose bush. That's Drill. Who's Drill? He's planning the invasion. Oh, I see. Well, you better come in and clean up for supper. Your daddy will be home soon. In just a second, Mom. You got that, Art? See, now what? Four, nine, seven, and A, and B... An X, and a fork, and some string, and a and a hexagony hexagonal droopy. Come oh. on, Mink. Supper's in ten minutes. Okay, Mom. Just a minute. I have to tell Drill. I wish we didn't have to eat, though. It holds up the invasion. Sake, slow down. You'll choke on that too. I can't, Mom. It's a matter of life and death. What's a matter of life and death? The invasion. 
What invasion is that? Oh, just some silly game the children have been playing. Well, whatever it is, Mink, it'll wait until you've finished your supper, I'm sure. Oh, I don't want any more. You've barely touched anything. Oh, but Drill is waiting for me, Daddy. Drill? Who's Drill? He lives in a rose bush in our backyard. Imagination, Henry. <sighs> Such nonsense. I better run now. You'll sit through dessert, young lady. Daddy. And while you're at it, tell me more about this new game. It's Martians invading Earth, Daddy. What? Well, we're not exactly Martians, Daddy. They're from... Well, gee, I don't know, from... Oh. And from inside that little head of yours. You're laughing at me. Drill said you would. You'll kill Drill and... and everybody. Well, I didn't know you could kill a Martian. But it, it's not really a Martian, Mom. Maybe he's from Jupiter or Venus, even. <laughs> Imagine. They couldn't figure out a way to attack the Earth. We are impregnable. Impregnable, dear. Well, that's the word Drill said, impreg... Well, anyway, that was the word, Mom, the same word. Anyway, so we're helping them. Who's helping who? Well, the kids are helping the Martians. Well, fifth column, eh? Well, Drill says in order to make a good fight, you've got to have a new way of surprising the people. That way you win. And he says also you've got to have help from your enemy. Pretty slick, those Martians, using the kids for a fifth column, eh, Mary? And hiding under rose bushes, too, Henry. Don't forget that. Well, that's because grown-ups never look under rose bushes. Only kids. Oh, I see. Well, finish your fruit, darling. You can play for an hour afterward. Mary. Oh, it's so nice out, Henry, and there's no school tomorrow. Very well. Till 8 o'clock. Drill says after the invasion, we can stay up as late as we want. No more bats, either. Oh, is that so? We can watch all the grown-up televisor shows. I don't wonder this invasion has caught on among the kids. Well, some of the kids are giving us trouble, like like Dale Britz and Petey Cherrick. They're growing up, so they won't believe in the invasion. They make fun. Worse than parents, even. I hate them worse. We'll kill them first. I hope you're saving your father and me for last. But Drill says you're dangerous. What? But I, I think they'll let me keep you because I'm helping so much. I'll talk to Drill. Maybe we won't have to kill you. Mary, I think this nonsense has gone far enough. Can I go out now, please? Well, run along, dear. Don't worry, Dad. I won't let them hurt you. Mary, I think the child's taking this game entirely too seriously. Invasion. Now, Henry, you know how Mink is. Besides, all children have their aggressions. Better to get them out in the open, I suppose. Maybe you're right. Um... I was wondering about bridge with the Jacksons tonight, Mary. All right. You look tired, dear. Why don't you sit in the relaxer for a while and get a massage? I'll sew for a while until it's time to... Oh, I wanted to call my sister Helen. Oh, good. Find out when her husband's going to return my golf clubs. Would you please connect me with Mrs. Helen Rogerson on Channel 7, 2Z, uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What is your channel, please? 817X, New Rochelle, New York. Thank you. Just a moment. Go ahead. You can see your party now. Hello, Mary. How are things in New York? Fine, Helen. How are things in Pittsburgh? You look tired. Oh, I've been having a terrible time with the children. Sick? No, just underfoot. They've got a new game that's got me just about crazy. It's called Invasion. Did you say Invasion? That's right. Well, isn't that strange? My mink is playing it, too. My boy Tim is all involved with some imaginary fellow named Drill who's running the Invasion. 
Must be a new password. Mink likes him, too. How do you suppose these games start? My backyard looks like a scrap drive. They've got every conceivable kind of mechanical gadget arranged out there. I talked to Josephine Schiller in Boston, and she says her kids are wild about it, too. It's sweeping the country. Remember when it was the Roomba? Please, dear, I'm not that old. Mommy! Oh, please, Mickey, I'm on the televisor. Come on, see your Aunt Helen. Hello, Ming. Hi, Aunt Helen. Look what I've got. What is it, honey? Well, it's a yo-yo. Look what I enroll it. See? Well, Helen, look, it vanished. Where did it go? Into another dim... Dim, dim... <laughs> she means dimension. I say the darn thing. My Timmy brought one home, too. I can't figure out how they work. Make it reappear, honey. Well, there. It's easy. Where'd you get it, dear? Jill gave it to me, Mom. Mink? Bye, Aunt Helen. Gotta run now. Mink, you come back here. I want to talk to you. Hey, Mom, zero hour, five o'clock. Mink! Bye! Oh, I can't understand it. The child's never been so unruly. Helen, do you suppose that... What? Oh, nothing. Just a wild thought that... Say, the reason I called, I want to get that black and white cake recipe. And Henry wants his golf clubs. I don't know what he'll do if I... What was that? I don't know. One of the children must have been hurt. I'll have to run and see. Call me back tonight, will you? All right, Mary. Bye. Mink, come here. Yes, Mom. What is it? Who screamed? Peggy Ann. All right, what happened? Well, she got scared and went home. Did you hit her? No, she just got scared. She's a scared baby anyway. We won't let her play anymore. She's getting too old. Mm. Now, Mink, tell me why she cried. No, I can't. Mink, you'll answer me this instant or come inside. I've had enough of this nonsense. Gee, I can't quit now, Mom. It's almost zero hour. Then tell me what frightened Peggy Ann. Okay, she saw Drill. Drill? He almost came through. He was just testing. Through what? things we set off. She looked into one of the pipes and screamed. I guess she saw drill. And no one hit her? Uh-huh. Very well, Mink. I'll call Peggy Ann's mother and see how she is. And I'll call you for your bath in half an hour. Your father and I want to go out tonight. You won't be able to go out, Mom. Why not? Zero hours, five o'clock, Mom. <laughs> Hello, dear. Oh, you home already, Henry? Yes, I thought I'd relax a little before we went to theater. Where's the little one? Out back. Same game? Same game. They've got a stack of pipes and hammers and spoons a mile high out there. Children, children, why do we have them? They are strange little creatures, aren't they? Even Mink, Henry, she's a part of us, and and yet what do we really know about how she thinks and feels? Well, I didn't mean to start a philosophic discussion. Kids are such a queer mixture of love and hate, though. Even normal, healthy kids. They need you and they're dependent on you, and yet they resent that dependence. You sound like a child psychology course I once took. I wonder if they ever really forgive the whippings and the commands we have to give them sometimes. I wonder if we ever forgot them when we were children. Look, I'd like to discuss this with you, dear, but we do have a theater date, and it's almost five o'clock now. What's happened to the kids? They're so quiet. When children are quiet, you know there's some mischief. Oh. What's that sound? I don't know. Those kids are 
kids aren't playing with anything electrical, are they? I'm sure they are. At least I Just the same. I'd better go out and see. Henry, tell them to put off the invasion. Mary, don't get upset. It's just a game. Good Lord, what's that? Look out the window, Mary. What is it? Where are the children? Mary, why are you shaking? What did you see? Henry, quick, up to the attic. They are in the attic. Yes, yes, the attic. Quick. Mary, come back here. Mary! Mary, don't go up. They aren't up there. Mary, you out of your mind? There's no one up here. Quick, shut the door. Lock it. Lock it. But there's nothing up here. What, what is wrong with you? Mary, come to your senses. Stay what are you talking about? I saw it through the window, Henry. It was horrible. What? It, it, it is an invasion. Henry, for heaven's sake, let's get down out of this attic and talk this over sensibly. I, I want to find out if Mink is all right. She's all right. I saw her. She was leading them around the corner of the house. Leading who? The kids? Listen. Nothing. Sound like fifty men with, with boots on. Oh, no, not men. Oh, please, huh? God, don't let them find us. Don't let them find us. I, I don't understand. Who's there? Who's down there? I demand that you answer me. Got to save her. Henry, you don't understand. She's leading them. What? She's leading them. She's on their side. Oh, please, God, forgive them. The children on their side? She told us, but we wouldn't believe her. Henry, they're coming out! Mom? Dad, we know you're in there. just heard another adventure into the unknown world of the future, the world of Dimension X. Next week, Destination Moon, a preview of the movie which is soon to have its world premiere in New York, telling the Robert Heinlein story of man's first trip to the moon. Tonight's adventures in Dimension X 
There will come soft rains. And Zero Hour were written by Ray Bradbury and adapted for radio by George Lefferts. Featured in the first story as narrator was your host, Norman Rose. The leading players in Zero Hour were Denise Alexander as Mink and Rita Lynn as the mother, Roger DeCoven as the father. Music by Albert Berman. Engineer Don Abbott. Dimension X is produced by Van Woodward and directed by Edward King. Robert Warren speaking. Programs, get your programs here. For a new thrill in detective listening, join the saint tomorrow as he reaps a harvest of criminals in a thrilling adventure with the underworld. Make the saint a Sunday listening habit and keep tuned thereafter for adventures of the greatest detective of them all, Sam Spade. Tomorrow, hear High Adventure, now Truth or Consequences on NBC. And that was Dimension X, science fiction on OTR from the Rockies, old-time radio. Brad Hobbs here with Bill McCracken. Bill, uh, a couple of additional notes on this show before we tell us about uh, the next science fiction offering that we have. Uh, when was this show aired? You kind of you kind of mentioned, but maybe give us that date again and, and on what network. Well, this was done over NBC in June of 1950, and it talked about the future being the year 1985 with its automated house on the first of the two shows. Zero Hour also referred to 1985. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about the, that, that reference. Here mm -hmm. we're talking, it's kind of hard to keep track of mm -hmm. whether we're ahead or behind right. of things. Uh, that was a real good example of uh, something done one year way in the future that now is suddenly in our past. Well, what's next? Well, now we're going to move much further into the future, actually, in a show set in the 2200s as we get into one of the late programs from the uh, most prolific of all of the science fiction shows of the 1950s, an entry from the X-1 series, which started over NBC in the spring of 1955 and ran for nearly three years in various time frames. And what we're going to hear is a show from the very end of that run when it became a part of the Nightline series. For those of you who may remember, Monitor was an NBC fixture for years. Uh, Nightline became the weeknight version of Monitor, in effect. And we hadn't talked, just very, very briefly, we haven't talked much about the, the cast of any of these shows, but they were kind of the stock, I guess, New York actors, were they all? Yes, and that's true with both the Dimension X show and the X-1. And here, for example, you're going to hear some very familiar voices to this series, particularly Wendell Holmes as the mayor, very recognizable voice. Uh, Bob Hastings and several other New York actors are featured on this show. X minus one. This is Walter O'Keefe inviting you to listen in on the Nightline. Tonight, live the incredible life of ages yet to come in a time that might be a million years from now on X minus one. Now an incredible story of the world beyond. Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire.
the far horizons of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine, presents... X minus one... Tonight's story, Skulking Permit, by Robert Sheckley. But first, hear this. Pick up some Paps Blue Ribbon. Take it home, chill it, then put it to this test. Have a glass of Paps with your meals for the next several days. You'll find Paps Blue Ribbon makes most everything taste better, that it adds zest and sparkle to any meal. Try it. The bright, modern taste of Paps Blue Ribbon is good anytime and wonderful with meals. Pabst is the name. Made by Pabst Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now, X-1 and Skulking Permit by Robert Sheckley. August 16th, year 2204. Two... Central Colonial Administrative Authority, Alpha Centauri Sector. From Colonial Contact Inspector 37. Subject, Lost Colony on Planet New Delaware. First contact established in 200 years. Am proceeding on overdrive for personal investigation. I thought I told oh, you to take consult me. Oh, take it easy, me. Mayor. I've put the sign up. No aliens allowed within city limits. Uh, what's an alien? Never mind. Look at the church. You painted it wrong. Now, look. Here, I painted that church with a nice bright red. Now, what's wrong with that? I looked it up. It's a little red schoolhouse, not church house. Churches are supposed to be white. Oh, I got along fine enough in New Delaware for 200 years without either of yes, them. Yes, I know. I know what we need them now, and we haven't got much time. Hey, uh... When do I get a police chief badge? I read that a police chief always gets a badge. Make yourself one. Now go on. All right, then. Oh, it sure is hot. I don't know why the inspector couldn't have come in the wintertime. Oh, Tom. Tom Fisher. Yeah? Uh, come here, Tom. I've got a job for you. Well, now, uh, look, Mayor. I'm on vacation. A fish won't be back in these waters. Uh, no I... vacation. Not now. The inspectors do any day. Tom, how would you like to be a criminal? Well, I don't know. What's criminal? Well, come over to my house and I'll explain. I've got to appoint a criminal. And it looks to me like you're it. New Delaware. New Delaware. Do you hear me, New Delaware? Come in immediately. Yes, yes, uh, we, we hear you. This is Colonial Inspector 3-7. You of New Delaware are still a colony of Earth and subject to our laws. Do you acknowledge that status? Oh, yes. Yes, we called a town meeting last night and we talked it all over. We're still loyal to Earth. Excellent. That saves us the trouble of sending an expeditionary force to reconquer you for Imperial Earth. Imperial? Oh, that's funny. All the books talk about Earth as a united democracy. Uh, a lot can change in 200 years. You realize, of course, there is room for only one intelligent species in the universe, man. All others must be suppressed, wiped out. We can tolerate no aliens. I'm sure you understand, General. I'm not a general. I'm a mayor. You're in charge, aren't you? Uh, 
Yes. Senor General, be sure you're running an Earth colony, General, with no radical departures from the norm, such as free will.